everybody. Grab a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 6. Acts 6. In grad school, I wrote a research paper on the rapid growth of the church during the second century. Sounds riveting, doesn't it? <laughs> After the church is established in the first century and, and takes off, which is all chronicled in the book of Acts, what happens next? Once the New Testament record ends, where does it go? Well, the second century proved to be the season of the church's life in the world where it grew more rapidly than in any other period of church history. Why is that? Well, church leaders made a dramatic shift in how the church was going to be led. It became more lean, it became more agile, able to make quick decisions and respond quickly to all the issues it was facing. And this speed of leadership decision-making enabled the church to turn on a dime and to maneuver its ways through all the crises that it faced. Because while it was a season of rapid growth, it was also a season of rampant problems. The church faced two primary issues, an external one and an internal one. The external problem was continued persecution. Once persecution starts in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, it continues for centuries. Christians were being arrested. Christians were being killed. They were being ostracized. They were being kicked out of the Roman Empire. Well, that obviously made the church more agile in its decision-making because they didn't know who was going to be alive at the end of the week or if someone was going to be in jail. So power wasn't centered in on just one person in case that just one person was not going to be around next week. And the internal problem that they faced was false teaching. Countless false teachers arose and led people astray. The, all of the New Testament letters were completed by then. They had all been written, but they weren't readily available to all the churches. They couldn't just email copies of Paul's letters to everybody. They had to make copies by hand and then hand deliver them across the world. That takes time. So in the meantime, there were some church leaders who were teaching things that made sense to them. They were teaching things that they wanted to be true, but it wasn't necessarily biblical truth. And the church needed a way to be able to quickly step in and remove those false teachers so they could protect the purity of the church. And the church's response to those two problems was to enable this quick decision-making to fix the problems. And because they were so successful in their strategy, the church took off and exploded in growth in unprecedented ways. God's church has always had its problems, but when they're faced head on and when leaders make good decisions, it enables the church to continue to thrive. That's what happens in Acts chapter 6. So far, the church's problems have mostly been external. It's continued persecution coming at them. But now they're going to face a huge internal problem, a problem that's going to force the leaders to change their tactics. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, there was a grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, 
It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. And this word pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they stood before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So let's take a few minutes. Let's walk through the text together. We begin first with the problem. Notice how the account begins in verse 1. Now, in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, well, herein lies the problem that they're facing. They're growing. People are placing their faith in Jesus all around them. People are taking ownership of their faith to grow their faith. The disciples are multiplying in number, and that can create problems. You have a bunch of non-Christians running around who are exploring the faith. They have questions that somebody has to answer. Sometimes they hold on to their non-Christian ways, and somebody has to step in and address those issues. On top of all that, You have a bunch of new Christians running all around, ones the New Testament calls infants in Christ. You ever been in a room full of babies and toddlers? It's chaos. When they're trying to walk, they're falling down, they're breaking stuff, they're making messes. That's what's happening in the church. All these new believers are are doing these things, and all of that has to be dealt with in some way by the leaders. And their growth created some administration problems. The end of verse 1. There was a grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. A grumbling. Well, gee, that's surprising. I mean, church people never grumble. (laughs) It was weird that the Bible would record that. So there's a grumble. There's a complaint from the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Who's that? Hellenists are Jews who speak Greek. So they're either born in Israel, and they're Jewish, and then they move outside of Israel into the rest of the Roman Empire, and they adopt some forms of Greek culture, which is totally pagan, and they adopt the Greek language. Or they were born elsewhere, somewhere else in the empire, and they became Jews and now have moved to Jerusalem. The Hebrews are the Jews who speak their mother tongue. Hebrew, hence the name Hebrews. (laughs) And while they were all still Jewish, worshiping with their fellow Jews, they had different worship services in their respective languages. And all of these people are still Jewish in a cultural sense, but they all have now placed their faith in Jesus Christ and they're part of the New Testament church. Then one group's widows aren't getting their fair share like the other group's widows. Widows were especially vulnerable in ancient cultures. All inheritance went to the sons. It never went to the wife. It never went to the daughters, always to the sons, to continue the family name. So if a husband dies, and especially if she doesn't have any sons, she is in real trouble 
There are no social programs to help her. There's no government aid to help her. Only the church can help. The ancient Israelites obeyed God's very clear laws in the Old Testament to care for the widows in their midst. And the New Testament church carries the same pattern. You know, the New Testament carries much teaching about caring for widows and orphans and all of the vulnerable who are in the church. And already in Acts 6, we see that the church obviously already has some sort of benevolence program and that they're providing daily food to widows in the church. So why are the Hellenists being overlooked? Well, there are two possibilities. First, it could be intentional. I mean, there, there might be a very real race issue here. I mean, this is those who are true Israelites with that godly heritage, and then there are those who are from a pagan heritage. And, and they're coming from these different backgrounds. They're insiders and outsiders. I mean, Hellenists could have been born in any culture, dozens of them throughout the Roman Empire, and then come into Jerusalem. They're foreigners in Jerusalem. Or maybe it's not race, maybe it's spiritual elitism. Because Jews who grew up speaking Hebrew were considered the most pure in their faith. It was a badge of honor. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul offers a spiritual resume. And in it, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And this is what he means by that. He speaks ancient Hebrew, meaning his family was very devout and they were pure in their faith, very much unlike those who speak Greek. The common language of the day, it's not pure. It's not this long heritage of faith in their background. So there could be this we're better than you thing happening. But I don't think any of that is what's happening here. Because so far in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, all that has been stressed is the unity of the church over and over and over again. There's no hint at all of division, either based on race or religious elitism. Now, historically, both issues will come up later, but there's no hint of it here at all. So the reasonable conclusion is that the overlooking of these widows is unintentional. It's brought on by the chaos of the church's growth the apostles who are leading the church, who are over all of those funds designated to help these people, they're overloaded with all of their responsibilities and they need some help. This is an administrative problem, nothing more. But it's still a problem and somebody has to fix it. Number two, so here's the plan. Verse two, so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. But we will devote ourselves to prayer to the service of the word. And this word pleased the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they stood before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. This is a brilliant plan. It's a great strategy. There's layers of brilliance here. So this is obviously a major problem. So they gather together everybody so they can solve the problem together. 
And the apostles are clear on their calling from the Lord, and they are unwilling to sacrifice that. Verse 2, it is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's not pleasing. It literally translates as it's not right. It is not acceptable that we would forsake our direct calling from the Lord Jesus to do anything else. So the apostles were clearly tasked by Jesus. You are to preach the gospel. You are to teach the scriptures to the disciples. That's their role. So what would happen if they skimp on that and instead they focus on this administrative problem of food? Well, what will happen is the same thing that happens in churches today when they neglect the preaching and teaching of the Bible and they focus instead on all the practical things of church life. The preaching immediately becomes weak because there's no focus on the study of Scripture throughout the week to prepare so that when somebody stands up at the Sunday worship gathering, they actually have something worthwhile to say. Classes and studies are canceled in the name of serving the community. Study goes out the window because we're focusing on the practical means of helping everybody that we can. All of that can be accomplished. We don't need to worry about the Bible stuff. That's always a mistake because you end up with a church that's full of activists but not disciples. And even that is limited because when you look at what's happening in Acts 6, it's the church leaders who are tempted to do it all. So not only are they doing the prep work for preaching and teaching, limited and poor as it would be, they're now also in charge of all the administrative stuff running a daily food program. They're doing everything. So really what you end up with is a group of church leaders who are burned out and they're frustrated and you have a church full of people who aren't even given the opportunity to serve because the leaders are doing everything. So weak preaching and teaching, no emphasis on the Bible, and no opportunities for people to truly serve. That creates multiple layers of devastating spiritual immaturity. But they get it right here in Acts chapter 6. The apostles are going to focus on what Jesus called them to do, and they're going to share ministry with the people. They're not going to do it all. So they're to choose seven men who have spiritual qualifications. Notice that they are not chosen because they're great administrators. It's not their skills that are most important. It's the depth of their faith. It's their ability to care for people well. Verse 5. And this word pleased the whole congregation. I think that's probably the greatest miracle so far recorded in the book of Acts. <laughs> the leaders of the church make a decision and everybody is pleased with it. That never happens. This might be the only time in history. They choose seven men, most of whom we have no idea about them. We know more information about two of them. We know about Stephen and we know about Philip the first two mentioned in the list. And we only know what we know because the narrative of the book of Acts is getting ready to shift over and focus on Stephen and then Philip. And that's why we know what we know. The other five, we never hear from again because serving Christ is not about making a name for yourself. 
The apostles commissioned them. You are to serve and meet this need. And off they go. Problem solved. Number three, the principle. So what do we do with this? I mean, we can look at Acts 6 and go, oh, okay, good for them. High five apostles. Good job. How, how do we do something with this? Because we, we deal with the same stuff in principle. This church is growing. Disciples are multiplying. And that can create some issues. Things could be overlooked. People could be overlooked. What's the solution? Well, we know what the solution is not. It's not to have the staff and elders take over and run everything. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. That has been tried and failed in the past. Churches have a nasty habit of over-hiring to ensure that all ministry is done by paid professionals. That is a mistake. It creates the issues we highlighted before. Weak preaching, almost no emphasis on the Bible, and no opportunity for people to serve because the staff is paid to do everything. So here's the solution. Here's the principle we pull from Acts 6. Take responsibility for something you care about. That's what the apostles did for sure. You guys take care of the food problem. Get qualified men. Ensure it gets done. We can't do both. If we focus on the ministry of the word and the ministry to widows, both of them are going to suffer. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the word. That's what the apostles care about. It's not because they don't care about widows. That's not the case at all. It's because they know that the Lord has called them specifically to that particular form of serving. They care about being obedient to the Lord. They care about leading the church faithfully with prayer and scripture. They have to carefully guard that or they're going to get distracted and they're going to focus on something else. But one scholar sees this account as just another attempt by the church's enemies to take out the church while it's still in its infancy stage. They tried persecution and it didn't work. They tried corruption with Ananias and Sapphira and it didn't work. And now they tried distraction. If we can get the church off of their focus on the Bible, it will fall. And that's a fact. But thankfully, the apostles see what's happening and they address it. Take responsibility for something you care about. And not only did the apostles do this, the seven men did this. Remember, it's the Greek Jews who are being overlooked. And wouldn't you know it, all seven men who are chosen to address the need, all seven have Greek names. Absolutely brilliant. You are going to care more about this issue than other people will. These are your people. This matters to you. Other people wouldn't necessarily really have a heart pull towards this ministry. But you Greeks, you absolutely will. It's a Greek problem. Pick the Greeks to fix it. Take responsibility for something you care about. So maybe you care about kids being taught the Bible so they can have a firm faith foundation. Well, great. 
take responsibility for that and get involved to make sure that happens. Maybe you care about students having a safe space to ask questions and to have a group of caring adults who can help them navigate this season of their life. Great. Take responsibility for that and get involved to make sure that happens. Maybe you care about meeting the practical needs of some specific group of people in our community. That's great. Take responsibility for that and make it happen. Maybe you care about people feeling welcomed at church and having a positive experience here. That's great. Take responsibility for that and get involved and make sure it happens. See how this works? You you figure out what you care about and then you step up to take responsibility for making it happen. It's not the elder's job to do that. It's not the staff's job to do that. It's your job to do that. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a ministry to serve in. And none of the ministries are ever less than any of the others. In verse 2, when the apostles say, we're not going to neglect Scripture to serve tables, they're not looking down on serving tables because they know it's just not their calling. Whether it's preaching the gospel or whether it's feeding widows, They use the exact same word to describe it. Verse 1, the daily serving of food. Verse 2, to serve tables. Verse 4, the service of the word. All of it is described. Even in the original language, it's the same word. It's all serving, just different forms of it. Number 4, and here's the payoff. Notice the result, verse 7. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word of God kept on spreading. Why? Because they focused on it. They made sure of that. They didn't neglect that. They ensured that someone is keeping the preaching and teaching of Scripture as the top priority. They don't skimp on preaching the gospel. They don't neglect opportunities for people to gather and study the Bible. And because of that, the word of God spreads. And when that happens, so does the rest of verse seven. The number of disciples continued to multiply greatly. Where the word of God grows, the church grows. Where scripture is focused upon, disciples will be found there. Where needs are being met, Needy people will show up. And notice as well that because of this decision in Acts chapter 6 and how they face this problem head on, the ministry of the church invades into a whole new realm. Now, it says, a great many of Jewish priests are converting to faith in the Lord Jesus. It's incredible. Even those who are the most involved in the Jewish faith, even those who are the most sold out to the Jewish faith, the priests, they're abandoning their heritage. They're abandoning their current faith in the name of placing their trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ. What would cause that? The word and the witness of a faithful church will always change the world. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lesson learned in Acts chapter 6. And it is apparently a very hard lesson for churches to learn, this one included. We have a history as this local manifestation of your people of missing this. We all know of countless churches who have missed this. In the name of being practical, in the name of being attempting to be helpful, we focus on anything and everything but your word. So thank you for the example of the 12, of these men who ensured that what will lead the church faithfully is not great leadership skill. What will lead the church is not benevolent work in a community. What will lead the church is your word to your people. Because our ideas just don't matter in comparison to what you have specifically instructed your people to do. So God, as your people here, we anchor in your word. We stand upon the firm foundation of the Bible. And we faithfully preach it. We faithfully teach it. We study it together so that we know you and we know what you've called us to do. And we want the, the faithfulness in our own individual lives and in our church as a whole. We want the faithfulness to you that comes from doing that. And we have a model of faithfulness, an example to follow. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who as he was faced with multiple temptations to, to do various things, he didn't budge. He faithfully followed exactly what you had set out for him to do. We want to do the same thing. In our own personal lives, in our homes, at work, and here in the church. We want to do what you've called us to do. So God, help us to do that. And for the next few moments, as we do every week, we pause to remind ourselves of the example of Jesus, who because of his faithfulness to you, went to the cross on our behalf and stood in our place, took the punishment for our sin so that we, by trust in him, could be set free. We could be forgiven. We could be granted the hope of eternal life. So we take a piece of bread and a cup of juice and with them, we remember the faithfulness of Jesus for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're so glad you spent time with us today and we hope that you were encouraged. Remember to connect with us by using the form at broadwaycc.org. Have a great week.